Hello, friends, and welcome to Waterworks Ministries podcast number three. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Jody Cole, an iconographer whom I met in 2011 at a Jesuit Center retreat. And since participating in the icon writing retreat, I've enjoyed writing icons for friends as gifts off and on over the last five years. My name is Karen Weiss. I am the host of the podcast. And so to set the, set the stage, we read in Genesis that we are created in the likeness of God. One of the first things that we see God doing in Genesis 1 is creating the universe. And so if we're created in the likeness of God, then we as human beings are creative and can most certainly use our creativity to help ourselves and others grow closer to God in prayer. Icons are one way we can use art to meditate and focus on God. And so we're going to jump right in. Jody, thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure to be here today. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into icon writing. Okay. Um, well, long before I started painting or writing icons, uh, I was interested in art. I was a theater and an art major in college, and I never really felt that I was creative enough or talented enough to have a career in art. Uh, so I always had this dual interest of theater. So when I majored in theater and art, I thought I would be a set designer. Um, but I didn't have the same passion as I did for art. And when I got out of college, I had a lot of loans. So I uh, went into business and I was hired by IBM, who eventually sent me to programming school. And believe it or not, programming is a pretty creative endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, but you're within the confines of a corporate environment. So I still needed that outlet. Uh, I still love to paint. I always had painted. And having been a theater major, some of my um, self-judgments I was able to dissipate uh, mm. just by comfort of doing it. A lot of times, just by doing. The more you do mm. something, the better you get at it. And so even though I was in a corporate environment, in a lot of my spare time, I did a lot of secular art, mostly in watercolor. I uh, did still lifes, sports paintings, pet portraits, landscapes, that sort of work. So I had never really done any sort of uh, religious art. But eventually, uh, through my spiritual journey and uh, a retreat I went on, um, which was called Curcio, I won't go into Curcio, that's another whole topic that <laughs> you can explore at some point. But they encourage spiritual direction. Uh, they call the, at the end of the retreat, the fourth day. And the fourth day is the rest of your life. Mm. And so they really encourage this spiritual direction. And I prayed about a spiritual director, director for two years before... I really felt called to ask somebody to be my spiritual director. And That's it was, a long time. It is a long time. But it was something that was really, um, I just kind of feel that sort of relationship is a very private and you just yes. really need somebody that you feel that is, uh, you're connected to. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to just call somewhere and have them uh, assign me one. Yeah. So I... Uh, we had gotten a parochial vicar at St. Joe's, and after hearing him preach for a period of time, I just really felt called to ask him to be mm -hmm. my spiritual director. And he eventually became the pastor of St. Joe's. 
And um, it was Father Chester Snyder at um, St. Joe's in Mechanicsburg, who's now retired. Um, but he had been a speech major and an art history major at one point in mm -hmm. his um, education. And so it was really, I didn't know that when I asked him. And it was through our getting to know each mm -hmm. other. And I thought, boy, that is just the hand of God. Mm -hmm. Because I had been theater, you connect speech with theater and art with art history. Yeah. It was like there, there was probably <laughs> no other priest in the diocese that uh, I'd have that sort of connection to. So he knew somebody uh, at a particular time in our meeting that was coming to the diocese to give an icon class. And uh, they had been roommates somewhere along the line mm -hmm. in their education. And that was Father Peter Pearson. And Peter is actually an Episcopal priest and living in the Scranton Diocese. He had started out um, outside of Philly and New Hope. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's in, in Scranton now and he travels all over the country. Um, so that was June of 1995. So that's what, 21 years ago now mm -hmm. this summer. So Peter and I are great friends now. Um, I consider him my mentor as far mm -hmm. as iconography goes, but I've, I've probably studied with six or seven other iconographers in that time. Uh, three or f I think four of them were egg tempera. I do all my work in acrylic, but, uh, mm -hmm. but I still consider uh, Pete, Peter, my mentor, and probably for the first 15 years, I studied with him, you know, at least once a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and now it's just conflicting schedules. Uh, you know, I, we both just get busier and busier. But through the course of our relationship, we've run three international trips uniting our students. Uh, we've gone to Italy and Greece. Uh, and then another trip to Italy, uh, which was Roman Assisi, where we actually uh, the second trip and the third trip, we actually painted an icon while we were there. And our third trip was to Ireland. Wow. So uh, very special um, experiences. That's really cool. Right. So, so that was the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So that, so that this is, you're trying to get like my entire history in a nutshell here, yeah. but uh, 21 years, um, the actual what I do hasn't changed so much in probably the first five or six. I write icons by commission. I uh, give lectures on iconography, uh, the spirituality, the technique, the history, and the symbolism. And uh, I give icon writing workshops. So we're in our studio today or in my studio in my house today. And you can see I'm set up for uh, about 13 individuals to come um, once a week for three hours. Mm -hmm. And after the course of nine weeks, hopefully, everybody, if they've shown up, <laughs> will leave with a completed icon. Wow. And what's the name of the icon that you're working with your students on? I have a few going. Uh, so many of my students come back repeatedly mm. and uh, they might have projects, personal projects they want to explore. Oh, and okay. at a certain experience level, I don't care what they do. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. if if you're needing if you need step-by-step uh, -step instruction, I always have an icon, a class icon mm -hmm. going and uh, they can work on that. Uh, the advanced icon for my students that repeatedly attend um, is flight into Egypt. Okay. I've been trying the last, oh, let's say seven or eight years to do um, liturgical season icons. So mm -hmm. this is for Advent. If they want to use it for a Christmas card, okay. so um, 
So that's the advanced students. The beginner students or folks, um, they might not be beginners, but they have somebody they want to gift this one to, um, are doing a guardian angel. Okay. And then an intermediate project is uh, St. Michael the Archangel. Hmm. I don't know. So, some of them take them home. So uh, yes. they're allowed to leave them here, but uh, sometimes they hmm. take them home and pray with them. Sometimes if they haven't finished a step, they'll take a little paint and hmm. just complete the step at home. Nice. So we've talked a lot about icons and icon writing, which is the painting of an icon right. in a certain attitude, right. we'll say. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of okay. icon writing? Well, in the beginning, we were one Christian church. They had various teachers and there wasn't a lot of dogma established in the early centuries and there was a lot of persecution. Now, there was Roman art and some of that was based on Egyptian art and there were certain themes like the, um, the teacher surrounded by his students. Mm -hmm. Now Christ becomes the teacher. the teacher surrounded by his apostles. So with Christianity, uh, older themes or ancient themes might have been given new meaning. Mm. Uh, but the some of the language was developed in the persecutions. So that a, a fish, the Greek word for fish means ichthys, each letter of that becomes a mini creed, Jesus mm. Christ, Son of God, Savior. So during the persecutions, if Christians saw a fish on a building or in the catacombs, they knew cr other Christians had been there. So, but with Constantine, Constantine had a vision before a battle and he was inspired to, to have his empire. I don't think he could actually convert it until his deathbed, but to fight in the name of Christ. Uh, there are various stories about the actual vision, but Constantine becomes the first Christian emperor. So now the art of the empire becomes a Christian art. Um, this has, this has changed variously over the years for, um, let's say, geography and what sort of supplies uh -huh. were available, sense, what sort yeah. of pigments, what sort of colors. The first, the first icons were done in what is called encaustic. That means that the pigments were adhered to the wooden surface with a molten wax. There was what was called an iconoclastic controversy. Like I said, the uh, theology wasn't established in the first uh, few centuries on sacred images. And Constantinople was sort of a gateway between worlds. And so people from all over the world congregated or passed mm -hmm. through that area. And many of them... Uh, strictly in their spirituality, strictly forbade any form of imagery. Yes. I and, remember in my church history class yeah. learning about the so that, uh, So there was trouble. this big controversy, and then it becomes political. And mm. then icons were being misused for mm. a period of time. There was superstition attached to them. So uh, one emperor decides he's going to ban them. So now the, over a 100-year period... They go back and forth on the theology. Should we have icons or shouldn't we have icons? And um, the two theological foundations for why we have 
and should have icons, the first one and the paramount one, uh, set down by St. John of Damascus, St. John the Damascene, is that by virtue of the incarnation itself, God now has a human face. Yes. And so, you know, we don't depict in iconography God as an old man. God is always in the face of Christ. That is, when you think about the Trinity and the Father, Son, and Spirit, our vision of Christ is always in the human person of Christ. Mm -hmm. So in icons, when you see a hand up in the corner with the fingers poised in blessing, and we say that's the hand of God, there's always a little Greek inscription to the side of it that says Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. because we can only depict the human form. Okay. Yes. That, so that's that the, makes a lot of sense. That's the theological foundation. Uh, but also, the first icons were created by Christ himself, mm -hmm. miraculously. So when we read about Christ uh, on his way to Golgotha and being uh, carrying his cross, you know, in, in tradition, you know, the Catholic Church, not only do we have the scriptures, we also have the oral tradition. Not everything that came uh, was made it into the Bible, mm -hmm. but we still have these oral traditions. And the one was that a woman came out and wiped his face in an act mm -hmm. of charity. And his face miraculously appeared on that cross, or excuse me, on that cloth. And we call her, her name is never mentioned in Holy Scripture, mm -hmm. in the Bible. But we call her Veronica, and Veronica in its Latin roots means Vera Icona, which is true icon. Hmm. So in the Eastern Church has a completely different story uh, about hmm. Acheropodus. Acheropodus is the Greek name for uh, face made not by human hands. So that would be the holy face that's on the face of Christ that's on a napkin, Veronica's veil in the, in the Western mm -hmm. Church. But the Eastern Church has this story that there was this king, Abgar of Edessa, that had leprosy. And he heard that Christ was this great healer. And so he petitioned Christ to come to him to heal him. And for whatever reason, Christ couldn't or wouldn't go. Uh, the king sent his painter. Now, ancient people felt that part of their souls was captured mm -hmm. in an image. So that, let's say the emperor... Uh, was out of town, but they needed an edict signed right away. So they'd bring in a picture of him as though he was there to sign the edict. Oh, because wow. Because they felt, yeah. So, <laughs> so That's so interesting. Isn't that interesting? So Abgar sends his painter thinking, well, if I just get a picture of Christ, I can be healed by that picture. So the painter struggles. He can't get the likeness. And Christ, in his mercy wipes his face on a cloth and gives it to the painter. And he says, tell Abgar that after the resurrection, I will send one of my apostles to him. This, this will, not, will not fully heal him. Mm. Well, instead of healing him physically, I had a conversion. Oh. But after the resurrection, Thomas sent Jude Thaddeus. And Jude Thaddeus, when he walked into the king's chambers, uh, the king didn't see Jude, but he saw an apparition of Christ. 
and he was healed. So we think of Jude, St. Jude, the patron saint of impossible cases. Hmm. So much history in this. So much history. So much history. So, and, you know, you think 2,000 years of. So we're just going to get very, very superficial, <laughs> but it's enough to, to chew on. That's really neat. Um, I know that I have been to Orthodox, well, unorthodox church in State College, and they have icons everywhere mm -hmm. on the walls. Mm -hmm. Can you tell a little bit about the different styles, like the, the Byzantine style? Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the two basic, the, it started in Constantinople, and after... Uh, being conquered by uh, the Ottoman Turks, um, Greek icon painting went to Crete. Mm. And in the 10th century, Prince Vladimir of Kiev sent out a contingent to try to find the world's one true religion. And they stopped in Constantinople and they were so overpowered with the majesty of the Hagia Sophia, uh, Church of Holy Wisdom and the beautiful icons and the incense and the reverence that they took painters and priests and, and Russia was converted. So we have Russian icon painting and Greek icon okay. painting now. And the Greek icon painting is, I have two examples down here and sorry that the listeners can't see them, but the, the layers of paint on them are more opaque. So we, in both, styles we go from um, dark to light because we go from darkness to light in our spiritual journey but in the Greek icon painting you when I say oh, opaque colors that the colors are solid like if you paint green you're painting a solid color of green and then as you develop the painting each color on top gets a little bit lighter now it's very similar in Russian icon painting but uh, the layers are thinner so that you can see through to the layers. And that's uh, symbolic uh, in some circles because of this window. Now we always have the, uh, the border on there. Now sometimes you'll, you'll see if somebody's doing a detail of a painting where it doesn't exist. But when we pray with icons, we are certainly not worshiping wood or paint or you know that people have these ideas of graven image but it is our veneration is going through this door or window symbolized by this border at, to the individual in heaven and um so we we do have have that on on both mm. of them so it's basically more of a stylistic thing most okay. most geographies uh, depending where they were, how isolated they were, there might be less colorful palettes. Mm -hmm. uh, there was the elongation of the figure, depending what century, some are really squat-like, almost look mm -hmm. dwarf-like. Um, and certainly uh, Coptic icons mm -hmm. are more in that vein. They took the uh, first four councils of the church. And theirs is pretty much... Uh, remain stylistically mm -hmm. like it like it was well all these styles um, you know they kind of go back and forth and there has been in Russian icon painting especially this elongation of the figures mostly from the legs down uh, depending on the century uh, 
So I guess, I guess that's about it in terms of highlights between the differences. But like I was saying about geographies and where they were, what pigments they could get, do they have access to gold? Mm -hmm. So somewhere like Constantinople, where they have access to more things, it's going to be more colorful, mm -hmm. more gold's going to be in it, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So you started to talk about how we use icons in prayer. Can you elaborate a little bit more in that sure um, in the roman catholic tradition how you've used them sure uh well we consider that's the one differentiating thing about icons and other forms of art the most important aspect about iconography is that it is prayer it's a liturgical expression of the eastern church that's why they're everywhere mm. you know we have uh Church art developed differently in the West after the split of the church in 1054. Uh, and some of that was language, some of that was geography, misunderstanding, that sort of thing. But the West uh, developed art very differently in the vein of uh, the Renaissance and mm -hmm. Michelangelo and Giotto. But so when we paint icons, we are actually praying with our hands. But there's also this aspect of gazing prayer or contemplative prayer you know we can't always pray in words we can't always think the way we want to think we're just so overloaded with all these things in our heart and we just need to sit in the presence of god mm. and you know some people naturally fall with their eyes shut in meditation but some people have too much going on in their heads and this icon can act as an anchor number one and plus it's like a gazing into heaven so they're both just being in the presence you don't have to say any words you can use uh a lot of times in the eastern church we use what's called uh the jesus prayer uh lord jesus christ son of god um have mercy on me a sinner and i even have that on a couple tapes so i might play that in the background or i might start with that Sometimes it might seem like it's too many words and I might just use Jesus on the in-breath and mercy on the out-breath. But I notice as I fall into prayer, the words eventually fall away mm -hmm. and I can just do this gazing prayer. And sometimes even after a while, my eyes just fall shut too. But I still feel that presence and that mm -hmm. surrounding of uh, the saints or um whoever mm -hmm. I'm doing this intercessory prayer with this icon. Uh, the aspect of uh, physical prayer or prayer of the hands is that, you know, in iconography, the, the one thing that makes it different than other forms of art is, and we talk about creativity and having this inspiration from God to be creative, but with iconography, there's a sort of difference that's mm. opposite of other forms of creative art in that it's not about the artist. Mm -hmm. It's about dying to self. So in the history of iconography, it was the church fathers who said how people should be depicted mm -hmm. and how things should be represented. And so when you look at icons back through the ages, you can always tell when it's Christ. Mm. Mm -hmm. You can always tell when it's the mother of God. Certain apostles, you can tell Paul easily and Andrew mm -hmm. easily. There are certain distinctive characteristics that the iconographer just doesn't change because it's this pictorial language that's been developed mm -hmm. through the years. So as an artist, if, if creativity and making things look the way you want mm -hmm. 
in your in your imagination is important to you then iconography probably isn't the way to go yeah. because it's about letting that go and letting God come through you. We are mm -hmm. merely instruments of the Holy Spirit. So you have to let some of that mm -hmm. ego, um, so I'll go have, you write and I'll have an students icon. that, you know, they'll be inspired. Like, can I put this in the icon or can I put that mm -hmm. in the icon? And my answer is always the same. Pray about it mm -hmm. because you know, if the saint lived many years, 67, or if they were in active ministry for a very long time, there might be a lot of things associated with that saint. And you don't have to put everyone in to communicate who or what they were about. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's hard to get out of our own way. You know, we have this we are egocentric beings a lot of times yeah. and so we have trouble getting out of our own way so prayer is the way to help mitigate those things and have the icon be as it should be i was just at a, a third year of spiritual direction training and one of the first things we talked about was god gazing on us in love and us returning the gaze mm -hmm. And that to me is very much a central theme of, of iconography, both using them as a prayer vehicle as well as writing them. And it's funny because at one point in my spiritual journey after 2011, I was having a hard time receiving God's loving gaze. Okay. And so I carried the icon around with me uh -huh. that I had made in the yeah. workshop at the Jesuit Center, just so I got used to someone looking at me, yeah. something yeah. looking at me. And it was, yeah. you know, my my classmates thought it was a little weird um, <laughs> when I was in seminary because I brought it in with me and I set it up so that it was looking at me How continually. Um, but, you know, and that is a very unusual way to well, use an icon, I would but think. It, but, along those lines, I, I read something by, um, I can't even remember the this, and I, I have it somewhere that I used to uh, read at the end of one of my talks. And it was about this reporter goes along and he's following, uh, I think he's following, you know, a pilgrim journey of, of an icon. And he was just kind of reflecting about how these people that had this devotion kept falling to their knees when the icon mm -hmm. and had such veneration. And it dawned on him in his prayer that through the centuries, people have been praying and praying and these icons were imbued with so many prayers mm -hmm. that they could reflect back out mm -hmm. on the people that were then kneeling in front of it. And that's how I try to think when I'm, when we're, writing icons as a group in a class like just think if you're if you're um gonna gift this to somebody at the end of of the work and when it's blessed and uh, varnished and everything you've been praying for that person all along you've mm -hmm. imbued this icon with all those prayers already mm -hmm. so it's it's not just the paint and the wood it's this richness of this spirituality mm -hmm. that you have already it's already contained mm -hmm. in in that and i just think that's such a beautiful thing at the beginning of all of our workshops uh you know the 
folks think, and I've been to some workshops that are very, very quiet, but I've been teaching this for probably 18 or 19 mm. years now. And some folks, we've developed this community because I think about 80% come back over and over and over. And they're not the quietest group of people all the time. <laughs> so I always say, you know, the quiet time comes when you know the technique and you buy the paints and you're at home alone. And that can be a prayerful space. And our workshops tend to be more about community mm -hmm. than a lot of times. But we do, as a community, pray mm -hmm. at the beginning of each class. Mm -hmm. And we mention verbally our intentions so that we can all write those intentions of the community into the icons. And some of them might be personal intentions for individuals, and other times it's for the world at large, like whatever's going on that week, uh, whatever hardship in any pockets of the world might be. So, uh, so uh, like you were saying when you first came about this space and the feeling oh, of the space, mm -hmm. there have been many, many prayers prayed yes. in this space. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I think we, for me as a Protestant, we can sometimes lose that that history or understanding of sacredness mm -hmm. in images that, you know, yes, you can walk into a space and it just feel, you know, people have been praying in that space for a really long time. Yeah. Or you can look at an icon and go, wow, I could be, the you know two millionth person to look mm -hmm. at this mm -hmm. and how many footsteps have gone before me right and yeah, it's there's a beautiful connection in that i think the one thing uh about icons when i when people that haven't had any exposure mm -hmm. to them or have had little exposure mm -hmm. it's mostly little exposure they've seen a few and there's an immediate ah, i don't like them mm -hmm. they're ugly they're angry they're yeah. they look sad and so you know there's this, an education thing it's just mm -hmm. like anything else the more yeah. if you do something the more you appreciate it if you study something the more you mm -hmm. appreciate it uh if you pray with it mm -hmm. the more you appreciate it but i think sometimes that's compounded too with uh, some some views about imagery itself mm -hmm. but you know we can make anything good and we can make anything bad you yeah. know in and of itself things aren't good or bad a lot of times it's what we bring to it mm -hmm. so uh i i tend to look at the the good and how do these enhance my relationship with mm -hmm. god they certainly don't uh, i'm not worshiping wood and paint and, mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of thing it's not a a golden calf or a graven image it's it's a vehicle to get me closer to god mm -hmm. and i like that comment about the border mm -hmm. on the icon itself that this is a it's a window into a spiritual realm mm -hmm. really and when sometimes you'll see halos that break the border mm -hmm. and that just symbolizes a mingling of heaven and earth mm -hmm. you know we're never completely separate so how have you seen the use of icons for prayer impact people's journey and spirituality with god oh well you know everybody's different mm -hmm. you know so and, and every activity that people engage in 
uh, feeds them a different way. So it's probably as many as there are okay. people. But <laughs> I've I've ha- had one nun at one point, and I, she's a dear friend, that said to me once she was, she was having trouble praying, and it brought her back to be able to pray. Wow. So, I mean, it can be... So- you know, I and somebody that comes to a workshop that I don't even notice sometimes these things and I'll get a letter later mm-hmm. that, that that was so important to me and it, uh, it burned my imagination that I can go do this now or I mm-hmm. feel confident doing that or, you know, so you just never know how, it, how it's going to work. Uh, and I know... So it's, it is varies. Mm. For me, when I've written icons, um, I haven't done any work in the last, I'd say, year. We moved twice, and I haven't gotten my space as I want it yet. Um, but there's an invitation as that in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> there is. There is, certainly. Um, but when I've been writing icons for friends or... I made one for my spiritual director and, you know, some colleagues in ministry. It's amazing to me how, like you were saying before, the the painting, it becomes a rhythm almost. And I have a very busy mind, mm-hmm. like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And that action allows my mind to quiet. And I've noticed a couple times where I started maybe, you know, nine o'clock at night thinking I would be doing this for an hour or two. I blink and it was like two 30 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about, and now I have to say, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. It's not always just icons. Yeah. I find, and because I was a secular artist for a very long time before I became an iconographer, I find all art mm. can be spiritual. Yes. And it is that that uh, action of losing track of time and space, mm. of just being totally at peace and totally quiet, where, and I try never to sit down and paint unless I have three hours, because mm. that happens <laughs> all the time. If you have to be to a doctor's appointment, you yeah. probably don't Set want to start. Yeah. Set a little alarm. Set a little alarm. But, you know, some of that, that, that's not always immediate because there are a lot of technical things to learn. And Mm -hmm. as adults, I find this, um, as an American adult, you know, we expect and put so much pressure on ourselves Mm -hmm. to be good at something right out of the gate. And if we're not good at it, I'm not going to, that's not for me. That's not not for for me. me. Yeah. Just like anything else, the more you do, the better you get, the easier it becomes. If you can be patient with yourself, you know, I I have received many, many graces to be very, very patient. And, you know, I often will say to folks, to the beginners in the class, because my classes are mixed and mostly mm-hmm. it's experienced folks and we might get one or two new people and... I don't want the beginners to be intimidated by all this experience around Mm -hmm. them. And I Mm -hmm. try to tell them, you know, 
you're going to get my attention. They don't need me. Mm. So it's better for you if you're the only two beginners, because if it's a whole class of beginners, you've got to divide my time between mm. all of them. But I'll say to the experienced folks, tell me how many classes you took before you started painting on your own. And some of them will yell, I'm still not, <laughs> you know, and others will say five, six, mm. you know, so you just have to start at the beginning mm -hmm. and just know that if I help you a lot on the first one, I'm probably not going to help you as much on the second one or the third mm -hmm. one, it, little by little. And you're probably going to feel like, oh, I'm not progressing fast mm -hmm. enough. Look at, But I see it all the time after so many years of doing this. And, and I just, it's such a joy and gratifying to me that I can look at somebody whose work looked very primitive in the beginning and I can see such growth in them and and confidence the fact that they don't ask me to rescue them they want to work through it mm -hmm. you know yeah and that's very exciting and for I'm sure you've seen all of the coloring books that are out mm -hmm. for adults mm -hmm. um, that can be a similar thing right. if right. you know not everyone has Jody Cole in their backyard, right. you know, outside of Harrisburg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there a way that people can pray with, you know, these mandalas or these coloring books in a similar way oh, to, you know, I don't icon writing. I and, think like I was saying, I don't know. I don't know mm. about the prayer part for that. I mean, mm. I you can always have prayer in your heart. I mean, if mm. we're Christian beings, yeah. you know, pretty much anything we do can be transformed mm. in the love of God mm -hmm. that we hold in our heart. So the short answer is yes. yes. <laughs> uh, and again, any form of creativity I've ever done mm. that can transport me into that place of peace and losing track mm. of time. Mm -hmm. and space, you know, um, and I can see where that would do it. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned a little bit earlier about setting intention mm -hmm. in groups. And is there, um, I know that in yoga, people set an intention for that specific practice uh, of that hour or hour and a half or however long it is. For icon writing, when you have people come, you know, three hours a week for six, seven, however many weeks, is the intention the same or is it different or does it vary by the person, whatever they're holding in their hearts? Yeah, I would say it's probably various uh, because people have... We always, when we do our intentions, we have the group intentions where people mention. Mm -hmm. And then the very final prayer is all those things we have resting on our hearts okay. this day. You know, that we might not feel mm -hmm. comfortable mentioning in mm -hmm. group. But as a group, we're trying to take the power of the group and the energy of the group to even include that. To hold that. To mm -hmm. hold that as well. So, and I know a lot of times, I don't, when I, when we say about losing track of time and space when we're painting. I don't always think in words a lot of times when I'm painting. So I'm not always doing the Jesus prayer with every brush stroke. Some people do. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have saw the video for 60 minutes on Mount Althos a number of years ago at Easter, the monks all day long are moving their mouths to the Jesus prayer. But I find if I start that, 
half hour later, I notice I'm not doing it anymore. It's yeah. just, I just, it just mm -hmm. drops off. So a lot of times what I'll do when I sit, I'll have, I'll pray before the icon before I start painting mm -hmm. and hold that intention and then I'll start. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, and I'll, I'll pull back to it on occasion, but you know, when you get into the moment and you're just moving on with the, the actual work, you kind of, it's kind of, it is that contemplative prayer. You, you are in the presence of God and you're kind of mm -hmm. not thinking in words. And that's a good reminder for us. I think for those who, you know, aren't interested in maybe coloring or writing icons mm -hmm. or things that are artistic in that way, you can set an intention and pray before you go running right. or like walking your dog. <laughs> anything we do when we hold the love of God in our hearts, we can transform anything, any mm -hmm. action. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really good reminder. And in terms of creativity, I mean, creativity is, I mean, I, I can't remember what the seven, the seven points over the seven kinds of intelligence there are. Oh, uh, there's a, yeah, nature. One's history, but I wouldn't be surprised if creativity mm. is, is one of those. I don't, I learned that a long, long time mm. ago and I don't remember all of them, but there are so many ways to be mm. creative. And, you know, there's music, there's mm. dance, and it doesn't even have to be that you are physically dancing or you're physically writing songs mm -hmm. or making music. If you love music, you can find ways, uh, just like I was in theater. Uh, when people think of people going into theater, they think, oh, they want to be an actress or an actor. Mm -hmm. But there are so many aspects of it. There's theater design, there's lighting, there's sound, there's, you know, we have the grips that set up the, the stages and move the props. So there are ways to be involved in a creative process. And maybe be, if you're a more technical person, that you want to be in that energy of creation, but you just don't, you're just not making the actual music or you're mm -hmm. not, you know, doing the acting itself, but you can still participate mm -hmm. in the big picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all those elements are needed in creativity. I was recently at a music festival in um, Front Royal, it's called Appaloosa, and it was basically roots music, a lot of Celtic music. And the, the group that was hosting it was a family, mostly a family band, and they're very devout Catholics. And um, they had workshops going the whole time. Uh, I think one might have been songwriting. They had, there were some um, Irish people or Irish musicians there. So they had, and some of the, uh, this one family of gals that they were wonderful fiddlers, but they were also Irish dancers and they gave a mm. workshop on Irish dance. So there's all kinds mm. of things to feed that creativity mm -hmm. out there. Um, and you had mentioned programming. Um, when I was still an engineer, I was doing wastewater and water treatment design from literally conception all the way to the finished product. And one of my church friends said, Karen, how can you say that you're not creative? 
you do piping layouts, you do building layouts, you arrange things and site development. That's all creative work. And for those of us who are wired analytically, we don't always give ourselves credit for that. One thing I remember my sister telling me this years ago, uh, she was had been a theater major and she was living in New York City and got a job in an art gallery and she got some experience that and she interviewed uh, for another art gallery and European systems of education start branching their children into specific interests at a very early age. So like in England, I think they have when you get to A levels at around 15, when you go to A levels, they are putting you into uh, what your academic concentrations are going to be in college. So you mm -hmm. get kind of like pre-collegiate. And then uh, some children that might not go to college might start branching off into more technical fields. And we're so all over the map. We'll be <laughs> three years into college and change our major. I think it's very difficult in some of those systems to go backwards and to change mm -hmm. because you don't have the foundational roots that the way they branch out. So I remember her telling me that this uh, French gallery owner said, you know, you went to school for theater. How can you be uh, in right. an art gallery? And she said, well, I can learn anything. <laughs> but it was kind of different than the way they thought and the yeah. way their learning well, processes go. You haven't been studying this for exactly seven years so how if, can you do this and i think as americans that's one thing that is unique about us is mm -hmm. we feel like we can you know we can learn this we can do these mm -hmm. things we are creative thinkers mm -hmm. so hmm. so in many ways we can give ourselves a little bit of credit yeah that that but, we can try something new and not be afraid to fail and it, we, if we try and try and try and work and work and work. We just have to give ourselves to it. Yes. And we have to allow ourselves the time to learn. Mm -hmm. You know, don't get impatient with yourself. Don't think that if this isn't going to be productive, I'm not going to be productive and producing and be able to do this within six months or within two months. You know, it's not worth it. If you find that it is feeding you in some way, then keep yeah. moving forward mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. No matter what anyone else says. No matter what anybody else says. Now, if you find, now some people are gonna get into it and say, mm -hmm. ah, this isn't for me. You know these things and you can pray about them. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing I have found that I've never been let down in prayer, you know? <laughs> no. And that's also on God's time, which can teach us to be patient. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Jody, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Well, you know, I know that some of our talk about creativity and how how to get going mm -hmm. uh, and how to jumpstart, there are so many things out there. Mm -hmm. I know for one aspect, uh, I have been mulling this around for years, and I don't know when I'm going to get time to do it. Uh, I'd like to learn to carve icons in relief and then paint them. This seed was set about 15 years ago when one of my students' husbands did that. And there is a gentleman that teaches it. It's a pretty expensive workshop and it's not local mm -hmm. and he doesn't do too many a year. 
so a couple weeks ago I found some YouTube videos just on basic wood carving oh. and I thought and he the gent that does the the YouTube videos it's very uh, it's a very good uh, production and it's very simple mm -hmm. and showing how to do the tools and then he takes you a little to a little more advanced and a little more advanced and I thought well as I get time I might try to teach myself this. So that's just one example. There are many, many things out there. If you have a computer or have access to one, you can Google anything, mm -hmm. anything you want to learn, anything you're interested about. Uh, so that's one good resource. Uh, the other thing, I just read a book recently by Elizabeth Gilbert called, uh, I think it's called The Big Magic, Big mm -hmm. Magic, and I loved it. Uh, somebody said to me, well, I don't, I'm creative enough. I don't need that. And I thought, oh yeah, but it's a delightful book and it'll inspire <laughs> you anyway, even if you feel you don't need it uh, mm -hmm. per se, because you're creative and have a lot of projects. Mm -hmm. uh, it's still inspiring. It's a book that I've looked up a couple times at my local library and it's always been out uh, and they have like six copies of it and uh, yeah, they're it's, always out. I of the loved library. it. I'm a member. I, I find that I don't get a lot of time to read my time to read probably the same as a lot of people is at the end of the day uh, when you've got everything done and then you fall asleep you open the book and you fall asleep well I have a beagle that needs to be walked and I need to be exercised so on nice days we walk like three and a half miles hmm. and I've done audiobooks so that is one uh, I'm a member of audible.com that's mm -hmm. one I've have on audio and they if you're a member they also had like a little workshop she was giving on creativity mm. that you could download as well mm -hmm. so there that's how i get some of that my mm. reading in that i might not get mm -hmm. in otherwise i heard uh elizabeth gilbert was a guest on a rob bell podcast okay. and so i heard her and rob talking about the big mag big, big magic the book and uh it's delightful. It's, it so. seems like a really interesting way to think about God wanting to continue creativity in the world mm -hmm. and looking for people who are willing to try. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Neat. Anything else? No, I think that about covers it. If people want to find you online, yes. um, how can they do that? Well, I do have a website. It's mostly a bulletin board website. I mean, I do have galleries out there for the different styles or the different uh, subjects I've done. So I have a feast gallery, Christ gallery, um, Marian gallery, and saints, angels mm -hmm. and saints. So you get on my website. It's www.jcoleicons.com. And you can email me from the site if you have any questions um and i do keep a list of my local workshops mostly local mm -hmm. local to uh central pennsylvania okay well great waterworks ministries podcast listeners thank you so much i hope you've been blessed by our conversation today and feel free to leave a comment and let us know what you thought have a wonderful day and god bless <laughs>